it would be great if more SWAC and MEAC teams scheduled each other every year, but I think it's way easier for the MEAC to do that than the SWAC. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one. One, daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports Editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day. Or remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey's over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter, at South Exclusives, right there. I was kind of close to being a little, a little over. But I got it right there at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> if you're on the audio side of things, don't forget the S at the end. And I really love the fact that people are starting to rally around HBCU basketball. That's just phenomenal to me. And if you needed a reminder that it's a what have you done for me lately type of world, just look at the fact that Grambling has fired women's basketball coach Freddie Murray. Before any of that, however, let's talk scheduling. Let's talk football. I think it would be phenomenal if the MEAC and the SWAC had more games against each other every year. I would always advocate for that. However, I do think that is much easier done by the MEAC than it is by the SWAC. Listen, I'm talking football. In basketball, this is super easy. The amount of games that there are in basketball, it makes it extremely easy to schedule more of these. However, the limitation, the fact that you only have 11 regular season games in football it makes it less easy, not impossible, but just less easy. So South Carolina State AD recently came out and she was talking about how the FAMU versus South Carolina State game for 2024 came about, how it's not going to happen this year and all of the ins and outs of that detail. I know she wants to play FAMU and Bethune-Cookman more often. I don't know if it's just because they came from the MEAC. I know they have SWAC schools on their schedule in the future, but possibly with FAMU and Bethune being a part of the MEAC and the familiarity behind playing them on a yearly basis makes them want to go back to doing it, if not every year, but maybe every other year, every three years, just frequently. She did also mention it would be nice to welcome some Pirates back. It would be nice to welcome some Aggies back. I'd even welcome in some Rams. So she's advocating for expanding the MEAC, but she's also advocating for playing teams that are former MEAC members. So I don't know if the idea of SWAC versus MEAC expands to teams like Alabama A&M, Alabama State, Texas Southern. I don't know if that frequency expands to them as well. But it got me wondering. And I think the idea of playing them regularly, it just doesn't work as easily for the SWAC. Now, I'm glad that it's South Carolina State versus FAMU because that allows us to make an example. FAMU is in a position where they're saying we don't care about the FCS playoffs. And I don't know if everybody feels that way. I don't know if everybody is aligned with the fact that we don't really want to participate in the FCS playoffs. That's the last thing that we could even care about. 
nobody wants to participate there because that means you didn't win your conference. So obviously I understand shooting for the celebration bowl, but me personally, I want the safety net of the FCS playoffs. I want to still be playing after my conference game is over, whether that's in a celebration bowl because I got there or if it's because I didn't make it to my conference championship and I had a good enough resume to be an FCF play, FCS playoff member. Everybody doesn't align with that. I get that. Everybody has difference of opinion. And I would love to know what side of the coin you lay on on this situation that I'm about to lay out and how is your feelings about the playoffs kind of impactful in this conversation. But with FAMU not caring about the playoffs, with FAMU saying it's celebration or nothing, that allows you to do this. Because I look at the fact that the MEAC, and mind you, we're not talking about the MEAC SWAC championship or SWAC challenge. We're only talking about games outside of that. None of the guaranteed, but purposefully putting a MEAC team on your schedule. You don't have to be scared. I'm just telling you, I wouldn't do it because there's only three out of conference games that I get. There's more teams in the SWAC. The difficulty isn't scheduling it. It can get done. They got on the phone real quick and nearly knocked it out for 2023, but had to settle for 2024. They got on the phone with Alabama State and was like, we can't do it because of this reason. We got to push this into 2026. It's easy to schedule these games, but the decision to do it, I think it firmly depends on if you have any interest in having that fallback plan that is the FCS playoffs. Because for me, if I have three out-of-conference games, let's be real, one's going to be a money game. I might play my Clemson. I might play my LSU. I might play my big school within the state unless you're Alabama because we know that the University of Alabama does not schedule HBCUs. So unless that's the case, you might play a money game of some capacity. Okay, that's one of your out-of-conference games. Now, what if you have a rivalry game, one that you play every single year, or you just want to have an easy game? Because I know at TSU, we be having easy games for homecoming. Now, do I think these easy games are conducive to being in the FCS playoffs? No, I don't. But sometimes you might want to do it. And you can get by with one easy game on there. Now you have that third spot. Are you going to spend that third spot on the MEAC team? I'm telling you right now, me personally, I wouldn't. And that's because the chances are already slim that you're going to make it into the playoffs. Like, let's just be real about it. It's already kind of slanted. It's already in a situation where... We know you're going to have to probably be really good. And I mean, not as far as a really good team, but better resume than some other people is the strength of schedule, strength of record, strength of victories, all of that, right? Excuse me. So knowing you're going to need to do that, I personally would schedule a opponent that isn't a conference that is more respected by committees. And I know that's probably, I know that's probably not right. And I know it's like, man, forget what they what they want. But if I want to be in the playoffs, which I, Darian Gray, the mouth of the South, do want to accomplish, I want to be in the playoffs, I'm going to do all the things that I feel necessary to make sure that I can get in there. Of course, I always want to win my, my conference. Of course, I always want to win the SWAC. I always want to make it to the Celebration Bowl because that means I won the SWAC. But I like to have a plan B in this situation. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Plan B is the only reason I do this. As soon as I get to the point where I'm like, fam, you and I'm saying, I don't really care. I don't really want to be a part of the FCS playoffs. That doesn't intrigue me. The idea of being there doesn't intrigue me. I'm going to schedule myself the way I want to schedule myself. And if they want it, if they decide at the end of the year, I am a playoff team. So be it. 
then I'll say, you know what? Give me all of the MEAC teams. Matter of fact, put me on a rotation. I'm going to run through all five of the MEAC teams, or excuse me, all six of the MEAC teams. And then I'm going to play Hampton. Then I'm going to play North Carolina a &T. Then I'm going to play Tennessee State. I will play every single non-HBCU, or excuse me, non-SWAC HBCU that I can once I decide that the playoffs are something I have absolutely no interest to play in. See, the MEAC, you only got five conference games. So you have six out-of-conference games. Yeah, you can play a Campbell and then play an Alabama A&M. Then play a money game. You can play two money games. That's only four. And then you can play a D2 team if you wanted to. That's five. You see the flexibility that you have? Now, of course, they come with its own detriments because you have to actually set all of those up and things of that nature. But when it comes to playing SWAC teams, you have more mobility. There's not a decision that needs to be made. I'm not slighting anybody who decides to play a, a MEAC team. I love it. I would love if we were to play each other more often. I genuinely would. I want my Tigers to be in the in the Swag Meat Challenge. We've never been a part of that. I would love to see that competition. Don't let that ever be lost in this conversation. But if I'm talking about postseason aspirations, I just don't know if scheduling a Meat team maximizes my ability to be in the FCS playoffs. So once again, I'll ask you this question. Where do you lay on this? If you're a SWAC team, would you schedule more MEAC competition? And if you would, or if you wouldn't, I just want to know what does your feelings about the FCS playoffs play a part in this? Do you not like the playoffs, so you're more willing to schedule more MEAC teams? Do you want to be in a playoffs, so you're not willing to do that? Or maybe you just are somewhere in the middle. Maybe you have that flip-flops. Either way, leave the comment below. I really want to know how you guys think about this because this is so interesting to me. Don't be mean to me now. All right, I know I said I don't want to play, and it's like, man, HBCU, Unity, all of this, X, Y, and Z. I stand for all of that, but I also stand for the playoffs. And if I can work my way to do both, because it's possible. Fam, you did it two years ago. If I can work my way into it, I would. But I understand that maximizing my chances to be in the playoffs probably means playing a team like Campbell, playing a CAA team, playing some other school that's not in the MEAC, because I know how the committee looks as both the SWAC and the MEAC has kind of lesser conferences at times. So I got to go up. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. If you needed any other reminder that it is truly a what have you done for me lately type of world, just look at Freddie Murray. He's been fired as the Grambling State women's basketball coach. And honestly, he's had a profound impact on the program. And I also just don't feel like his last couple of years were that bad. But let's reflect on his tenure as we continue with Locked on HBCU. As we continue the episode, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel Sportsbook is the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. And March Madness is still rolling, but at this point, we're just betting on individual games. And that's why I love FanDuel. No need to be perfect for two weeks in a row. Just be perfect for a day. Just have the right same game parlays. Just get it right when you're talking about your two for three, which is two three-pointers in the first three points or three minutes of the game. They're not asking for perfection. This is just knowing what you're talking about. No more luck. Is this guy going to hit the over-under on his points, his, his rebounds, his assists, all of these things? You can find them at fanduel.com slash locked on. But my favorite part when you make every moment more is if you're new to FanDuel, then you get your first bet no sweat, which is basically up to $1,000 in free bets. Up to $1,000 in free bets if you lose your first bet. So even when you lose, you're really still getting another chance. Your first L is never truly an L. Just pick yourself up and try again.
March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And as we continue rolling with today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. For your second listen of the day, make sure you're checking out Locked on College Basketball. It's everything that you need around the sport, all of the expertise that you need around the tournament in one place in less than 30 minutes, wherever you get your podcast, including this app right here. Remember, we had Isaac Shade on the show last week, I almost said a couple weeks ago, just last week, and he showed us exactly why that is must must watch must listen content i would love to reflect on freddie murray's time at grambling state because to me his firing is a great example of it's a what have you done for me lately type of world right and i know we're just talking about sports but that's true everywhere yeah you were great in x y and z but what have you done for me lately what have you done for me in the last two years and honestly i don't even think he's been that bad in the last two years but i think they just wanted a new direction there's one in a new direction when talking about him. And if you're looking for what I think, A, is the positive memory when talking about Murray's tenure, I also think that this is the lasting impact of Freddie Murray. It's the fact that the duo of Murray and Shakila Hill revitalized Grambling women's basketball. The things they were able to do in that three-year span, really that two-year span, but kind of a three-year span if we're just putting them all together as far as when they were a duo, it was special. I don't know if you are actively on Twitter. If you are, follow me on Twitter, at South Exclusive. Don't forget the S on the end if you're on the audio side of things. Also, subscribe to the newsletter. But if you're on Twitter, follow me. But there's this video that probably a couple of months ago, and you still see it occasionally now, that was really floating around. And it was of Vince McMahon, the former chairman of the WWE. And he was talking about somebody. I don't even know who he was talking about. But he's like, the guy was special. He was special. And that duo, those two years, the first and second year that these two were together was special. You look at 2016 to 17. That was the year that Coach Murray came in as an interim head coach. He came in midway through the year. Grambling was able to rattle off 10 straight victories, won 11 of their last 12. Hill was a first team all SWAC player, and they were able to be co-champions of the SWAC. And they were actually the number one seed. They made it all the way to the SWAC title game. They lost in that game, but it was the first time that they'd even been to the title game in the last 17 years. So basically since 2000. And because they won the regular season title, they didn't win the tournament. But because they won the regular season title, they now got to be a part of the WNIT. And they won a game. They knocked off Ole Miss. This was a special season. It was the first year that Freddie Murray was the head coach. He was a part of the staff the year prior. So he's been with Hill pretty much, not pretty much, he was with Hill her entire time at Grambling, but he was her head coach sophomore through senior year. 
So now you go through the WNIT, you win a game, you lose the next one, you come back in the next year. Of course, people are high on you because you're returning Shaquille Hill, you're returning your coach, and he was an interim. We know he's going to get picked up, no doubt about that. The next year, what do you do? You win the whole thing. You win the swag. Not the NCAA tournament. Come on, guys. Uh, I think I think that would have been a story every single time if that was the case. But you win the whole thing when talking about the swag. And I'm not just talking about the regular season. You win the tournament. That means you're in the NCAA tournament. Now, you haven't been in the postseason since 2000. And in back-to-back years, you have been in the postseason. These are the first two years of Freddie Murray's uh, tenure. So in the first two years of Murray's time at Grambling as the head coach, you go to the WNIT, win a game, not only play in the postseason, but you win a postseason game. And then in the next season, you get to go to the NCAA tournament. So essentially, you kind of leveled up. This is great, right? Hill, once again, a first team all swag player. The next year, she uh, I think that might have been the first year that she gets her quadruple double. But she's definitely that year. I know this for certain. She was the swag player of the year. You were a four seed, you win in the first round as a five seed, but then you run into the rivals, Grambling, who's the one seed. And when you run into the one seed, you lose in the second round. Okay, you can't be on top forever, right? You weren't you weren't able to achieve a three-year streak of being in the conference title game when talking about the tournament. Okay, but that's the streak. That's the three years. That's the special moments. That's what Murray and Hill should be remembered for. You should remember Hill for once she partnered with Murray being a first team all swipe player three years in a row. You should remember her for being the swipe player of the year. You should remember her for being the queen of the quadruple doubles. You should remember Freddie Murray for his ability to bring Grambling from not having a postseason appearance, not being in a SWAC title game since 2000, since the turn of the century. And over a decade and a half later, you get back-to-back appearances. You get a victory in the WNIT. That's not just a positive memory of, oh, I want to keep it positive around Freddie Murray. That is the memory that we should have of him. That is the lasting impact that he should have on this Grambling women's basketball program. That's what I'm going to take away from his six years here. But let's look at it because I say it's a what have you done for me lately type world. And that stopped in 2019. Hill leaves in 2019. What happens after that? I want to look at Murray's tenure year by year from beginning to ending. And I'm going to say the year based on what year the season ended, the calendar year. So 2016 to 2017 will just be 2017. So 2017, you come in as an interim coach, win 10 in a row, 11 of the last 12. You make it to the title game. Beautiful. Next game, excuse me. Then you go to the NIT. We know all of that. 2018, you win the swipe, make it to the NCAA tournament. 2019, you were the four seed and you win a game. So you win a tournament game. 2020, terrible. That's the first year without Hill. Was not a good year, admittedly. Right? But then you look at the next year. You're a five seed. Win a tournament game. You come in in 2022 as a that's a seven seed, but you knock off the two seed. So you pull off one of the biggest upsets that somebody can pull off in the first round. Now, this past year, because that's 2023, you're looking at an eight seed and you lose in the first round. So that's two title appearances, two postseason appearances, two seasons in which you're the middle of the pack, but you still win a tournament game, two seasons that are poor, right? You, you have a terrible year in 2020. 2023, 
you're an eight seed. You lose the first game. And then you have one year where you had a rough regular season, but you pull off a great upset in the tournament. Now, we just seen how Juan Dixon pulling off upsets means nothing. So I guess in a way, this is very similar to the Juan Dixon Coppin State firing. And that's not in my notes. That's just something I just thought of off the top of my head. Clearly, Murray's the same way. But I look at it, under Freddie Murray, Grambling has been a very consistent one-win team in the tournament. If they're not at the top, they're typically in the middle. If they're not in the middle, they're a dangerous team. I've seen people live through worse. But you know what? You were a seven seed, you were a eight seed, and you had a terrible year. That's three out of four years. Terrible, seven, eight. It's really, it really is a what have you done for me lately type world. And though they were able to pull off an upset, those other two years, that three out of a four year span, which is too much for Murray to overcome. So if you wanted the example, there it is. What have you done for me lately? Not enough. Sorry, we're going to have to show you the door and we appreciated your time here. Going forward, we're going to keep it on HBCU basketball because everybody seems to be rallying around the sport right now. It's interesting to me and it's something that I really do like. But I'm not going to overemphasize what's really going on as we continue with Locked on HBCU. And as we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day and also making it to the end. Thank you two times for that. I really do appreciate it. And I like the fact that people are clamoring and they're rallying around HBCU basketball. That's something that I'm a fan of. And on yesterday's episode, we talked about Dr. McClellan and his comments on why the SWAC isn't a two-bid conference and why they're an automatic qualifier-only conference. And it wasn't to know poor rain on the parade or anything like that it, it wasn't any of that it was more so the fact that you you've talked about it and it's a there was a pressure to answer this question I don't think this is something he's just up and talking about if nobody else is talking about it but the fans the alumni we created it such or we made it such a conversation point that the commissioner of the SWAC had to speak on it for his conference specifically but it's a conversation all the way around and I enjoy to see it, not because I'm a big basketball head, but because it's a change of pace. This is so different. And I'm not saying that basketball all of a sudden is going to be top tier, top number one or something like that. I wouldn't even call it a shift of something that's permanent. That doesn't even really matter to me. It's the fact that in this moment, it's a change of pace from what I typically see. Now, football is king. Football is 100% king, and those who don't agree are typically big basketball heads. And I will admit that I am probably slighted in that because I am a big football head. But the truth of the matter is that football is king. And we talk about this in a locked-on group chat. A lot of schools' identities are connected to their football program. There's nothing wrong with that. But unless you're a school like Duke, Gonzaga, like unless you're a school that has a heavy basketball emphasis, most of the time, even if you're good at basketball, if you're not that good at football, people are going to talk about you based on how your football team pro, uh, provi- performs, excuse me. You know, and I see that. Texas Southern has been great at basketball all the time. It's the reason I'm a basketball fan. <laughs> like, I love basketball season. I always tell people, I'm a heavy football head, except for when I'm rooting for my college. When I'm rooting for my alma mater, I'm basketball all day. I can't wait till November and January rolls around. I can't wait. But football is the identity. Now, 
this is not an HBCU critique. This is everybody. This is all schools. That's why I've heard people say, oh, man, you only care about football. And what about these other sports? And I've heard people only care about HBCU football. Right? So I've heard these critiques from other people. Matter of fact, I think HBCU game day, Stephen Gaither, he said something that's not exactly on this point, but he was talking about how controversy sells and about how you have a controversial topic. It's typically about Dion when he says it, that versus this one. Y'all don't click on this one as much. And I'm not the biggest fan of how he makes his point on that. I do think is a true point, but I'm, you know, as far as the controversy selling, I, I feel like we got to compare similar sports or the same sport, not even similar, but I would be interested to see how does a non-controversial average football article perform against a non-controversial average basketball article? What are the views there? What is the gap? I believe there's probably a big gap. That's what I would assume. And for me, I'm not bringing up these things to, man, like you're talking about how basketball and people are rallying around it, but then you go on this tangent about football being king. It's not a tangent. It's a way to illustrate the attention span that football typically commands. People get excited for a schedule dropping in the midst of basketball when it comes to football. When football season is over, you still have a long time before people just stop caring. And as soon as basketball finishes, like, oh, on to spring football. Once again, this is not a critique. It's just a simple statement of the attention that football commands is different. But this year, this year, it wasn't the season is over. We're on the spring football already. That wasn't the case. People are clamoring for more representation in tournaments. And maybe they were talking about it last year. I won't say that nobody was speaking on this, but either those people got louder with their with their frustrations, I'll say, or other people joined in and collectively the conversation got louder. I'm leaning more to the latter on that. I think more people got in, more people started speaking on it. This is good because typically basketball, because it has so many games, it's a sport where if, if you're a casual fan of it, you can't keep up with it all. You just don't want to. You can, but you don't want to because there's so many games. You don't care about it until it matters. And then once it doesn't matter anymore, you file in the back of your head. So the fact that even after the season, people are still talking about this, it brings a smile to my face. And I'm not a huge basketball fan, so it's not like that's I have a soft spot for basketball. And to see people clamor and to see people rally around HBCU basketball, it has absolutely nothing to do with a long-term impact. It has nothing to do with a complete shift. Nothing of the sort. It's just about seeing people care about HBCU basketball more than I'm used to them caring about it. Most times after the season, it's over. Boom, you move on. That's not the case. And there was no injustice to spark this. Howard won the MEAC in the regular season. They won the MEAC in the tournament. So they're in the NCAA tournament and nobody else plays, plays in the postseason. Norfolk would never play in, a, in the postseason. They're used to this. You are used to this. Alcorn wins the regular season. Texas Southern wins. Um, they win the tournament. So Texas Southern goes to the NCAA tournament and Alcorn goes to the NIT. You're used to this. But you're talking about Grambling? The co-champions, the runner-ups in the tournament and the regular season going to some postseason bid? That's not how things typically happen. So you can't blame the committee and say they're being unjust. This is just normal for the most part. And you're still asking for it.
that shows care. Everybody gets mad when there's an injustice. Everybody does. But to unprovoked have these conversations of change to me shows a level of care that I'm not typically used to when it comes to HBCU basketball. And it's one that I like. It brings a smile to my face. So I appreciate that almost as much as I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. For your second listen, make sure you're checking out Locked On College Basketball. It's everything that you need around the sport in one place. So go check out that wherever you listen or watch your podcast. Now, on tomorrow's episode, we're going to be talking about Howard and are they set up to succeed in 2023-24 and beyond. I have the answer for that on tomorrow's episode. In the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care, stay blessed. Peace.